Welcome to This Being Human. I'm your host, Abdurrahman Malik. On this podcast from the Aga Khan Museum, I talk to extraordinary people from all over the world whose life, ideas, and art are shaped by Muslim culture. There's a new generation that has a very unique perspective to how they see themselves as young Muslims in the modern world. I am this wide-eyed girl. I'm like, I want it all. I want to experience it all. Everyone has a story. Sometimes you just have to find out what it is. Like the poem that inspires this podcast, The Guest House, by Sufi poet Jalaluddin Rumi, we're talking to people who seek meaning and joy in work and life, regardless of what the day brings. I first met Karima Hassan earlier this year in London, at the home of one of our previous guests, my beloved friend, Nader Nahdi. As someone working at the cutting edge of London's dynamic art scene, Karima carries none of the bravado of a young Tracy Amin. Instead, I was struck by how considered, thoughtful, and compassionate Karima was. Challenging in her ideas and open to being challenged about them, Karima sits at the intersections of multiple identities and lives. When I went home, I immediately ordered her book, The Stranger's Yearbook. The book is a collection of portraits gathered in the early days of the lockdown. Karima asked people to send her self-portraits alongside a bit of text about how they were feeling. She then turned those into paintings and posted them online. The book has become a well-thumbed favorite on my coffee table. Living through this pandemic has come with an incredible amount of grief and trauma, but seeing how others are feeling can also bring connection and hope at a time when those things were in short supply. Building connection is a theme that runs through Karima's work as a painter, as well as a poet, and a convener of community gatherings. Growing up, I was totally empathetic, and now I'm starting to hone those senses and use my training as an empath to connect in a way that is more sustainable and is more of service than just being a sponge for emotions. Karima joined me from her studio in my beloved East London, where we talked about that focus on community, as well as ancestry, art, and her recent experiments with NFTs. We began by talking about the genesis of The Stranger's Yearbook. I started just by reaching out to family and friends and just saying, hey, I'm doing this project. Like, let me know how you're feeling and I'll paint you. And it was a very kind of like, it was like the perfect kind of olive branch because it was like, let me know how you're feeling when you're ready, when you have the capacity and... Like, I love you. Like, here's something I'll give you. Just don't like, you know, I have people saying like, I'll pay you. I was like, no, it's not about that. Just tell me how you're feeling and like, let, and just check in with me. And then I didn't expect to have such resonance with the different stories that came in. Initially, it was just kind of like, I want to give you something. And then when the stories came back to me and then I had this response of overlapping understanding, like, oh, I feel good, but I feel bad about feeling good. Or, oh, I feel like that too and I feel like that and yeah I've had days when I felt like that and I've had days when I've felt seven of these stories that 
it kind of was just like, hey, I should, I should open this up and I should, you know, open this up on Instagram because there was something really, really refreshing about how I'd always, before that point, have found Instagram kind of like um, a bit of a sterile place, like a bit like too considered. And there was something super nice about bringing this feeling of vulnerability and realness through a selfie, which is usually such a token of vanity that it was actually like, wow, I can really flip how I connect to people. And that feels so much more interesting. There's such an interesting paradox in the title of what became the book, The yeah. Stranger's Yearbook, because as you're speaking, the paradox is really obvious, right? You solicited this art from people who were strange to you that you didn't know, but actually not only you as the artist, but us as readers of the book leave the text, leave the pages of the book, no longer being strangers to those who you feature. In fact, we and, yeah. kind of get to know them really intimately. Well, like, and that's something was, I didn't expect that. So in 2021, as we started to open up, I had um, the first public exhibition of the portrait. So it was when they were shown in real life, right? And that was so beautiful in itself because it took it off Instagram and into like tactile territory. But what was so interesting is that as people were coming into the to the gallery space, which wasn't really like a typical gallery space, it was public. I wanted it to be very welcoming, very comfortable and very much open to strangers. So as people were coming in and I, I, I forgot that we'd never met before. So I greeted them first person, you know, said like, hey, so how's your dad doing? Because I know when you submitted, he wasn't very well. And like, they started, they were like, oh my gosh, you know my name. Or like, oh, you remember my story. And it was like, of course, how could I, how could I not? At that point, I was painting your face and more close to you than people in my life because of lockdown. And so, you know, like painting is just like, it's such a privilege that I get to express myself in that way. And I know it's such an honor that I get to do that and spend some of my days in color, but connection right like it's just so important and I think that's just my vehicle for connection and when we had those moments in real life where those strangers would come off the street and they would walk into the gallery and for them they were walking in kind of like there's a weird power at play too because they walk in almost like I'm gonna go and consume and see something can be entertained and I'm on the other side like I know who you are <laughs> <laughs> and it just again I love it because it flips everything around about social media because that's how we are on social media too like some people put themselves out there some people don't we feel like we have a right to some people's lives but it's all just like layers of masks and layers of vulnerability and it's just it's super interesting was there a story that really stuck with you that you maybe continue to think about a lot even today, now that it's been some time since the project itself completed? So the things that stay with us are often the ones that have the most emotional intensity, right? They, they etch a pathway in our brain that much deeper. And so when you ask that question, the first ones that came to my mind, I had this flash of like three or four and very different emotions. The first one was um, about a priest, an Anglican priest, who decided to step further into her faith during lockdown. And like, that kind of stuck in my head because I don't know when I would cross paths with an Anglican priest on my day-to-day -day in East London. And that was like really interesting because their faith journey was quite inspiring in terms of stepping out into that priest realm during lockdown. 
Another one that kind of stuck out to me was someone, I think her name was Caroline, whose father passed away and she overcame cancer at the same time. And I just remember thinking, gosh, that strength, the resilience that, you know, you've been tested twice, first by losing a loved one and then by overcoming cancer. And I, again, she was a stranger, but I just remember thinking like, there's a special season in life, you know, where you go from being an athlete where it's not about you being in your body or strutting or confidence or ego and you go into the sage realm of life. And I just remember that her story was like, okay, Karima, there'll be a point where you really, you're going to have to turn into the sage in, in a way. And like, these are the people that pave the way for you for when that time comes. There was a funny one from Joe about how it felt to, there was a crush that he had and he kept seeing her and he didn't have the courage to go up to her and speak to her. And then one day he did. And I just remember that just like something so sweet and, and lovely. And I, that was like such a welcome story because it was just very lighthearted. do come from a wondrous background. I'm sure there are times when you tell people that I am Yemeni and Bangladeshi and Welsh, and they kind of look at you and probably smile, maybe even laugh and say, what does that mean? What does it mean to be Bangladeshi and Yemeni and Welsh? It's, you tell me, it's, it's the product of the British Empire. I am the product of the British Empire, you know, like I am a product of the lands that the British Empire colonized and later came back to give work and prosperity and and a bit of sass, a bit of you created this. So all the times that you repressed my forefathers, I come back to bear that torch of heritage. And I truly think it's something so British actually about having these interfaith marriages. And I'm such a product of interfaith marriage. Like everyone in my family has a different last name and different hair texture. And again, that feeling of non-belonging and then you find your own sense of belonging. So yeah, my mum is from Bangladesh. She was born and raised in London. My dad is half Welsh, half Yemeni. I used to feel way more connected to my Yemeni side when I was growing up because my father, grew up in the docks and had that Yemen heritage that I was kind of around the family photos more. I was around the the family stories and I was connected to the Yemeni side of the family more. And so I only started getting more into the Bangladeshi side of my identity after coming to London and making friends with Bangladeshi people and seeing like, oh my gosh, this is where so many of the nuances that my mum had, that's where it came from. Because before that, I didn't know that that was Bangladeshi. I just naively thought it was my mum. And yeah, London's been really incredible for helping me to find a sense of belonging in terms of finding those pockets of identities. Um, it's, yeah, it's a funny, funny one. At times you've shared, Karima, on your Instagram wall, these kind of incredible pictures of your father's family in Wales and maintaining the traditions of the Yemen and even, as you said, this story so tied to empire of, of Yemeni sea merchants arriving in places like Cardiff and taking shore leave and then settling and marrying 
into Welsh families and marrying Welsh women and starting these hybrid bicultural families. But some of those pictures, Karima, are so powerful of your grandfather leading, you know, celebratory marches on special days like Eid or the birthday of the prophet through the streets of these Welsh towns. And there's something so, I, I just want to, I want to jump into the photograph. I want to, I want to be there. I want to ask questions. I want to know the story because, you know, something in our mind goes, that belongs somewhere else and not quite in Cardiff, but actually it totally belongs in Cardiff and it totally belongs in the places that those photos were taken because that's where this life was happening. There's two sides to the story of our connection to our history and my history. And I think sometimes we can glorify and we can see so much beauty in that richness of those stories. And I think I'm incredibly lucky to look back and have those photos of my great-grandfather leading prayers through Cardiff so vividly and so beautifully and I think that that's why I know that story because everyone that passed down from that lineage is proud they were super proud that he came from Yemen and he created the mosque and he created the Arabic learning school and he left this huge legacy and I think we're so proud of that, that that's why we savor on the the richness of those photos and that history but I'm also as I'm becoming older and I can see things from my mother's perspective and another perspective. I'm seeing, oh, there's a sadness. Now I understand why my mum didn't speak about her family because there was so much pain there. And the reason why I never got the stories I wanted to get was because my mum couldn't go into the stories because they were just too traumatizing and painful. And so I just want to be really careful about that because I'm like, I'm so proud of the love and the gorgeousness of one side and there's this void, but I actually think that there's a void because it's too traumatic. And I think that's something that we, I want to pay homage to is like, sometimes it's really painful to, to talk about those experiences. And when we have that diaspora moving, it's sometimes like our parents are not ready to go into that, into those memories. And just because we don't necessarily wear that identity and those memories proudly, it doesn't mean they're not part of us, but sometimes we just have to give time to process. No one is better than anyone else because we wear identity with pride or not with pride. Like sometimes it takes a different emotional journey and I can really see that with the beauty of having my mum who had maybe like more of a, uh, she kept her personal life and her personal identity secret. Now I'm understanding because there was pain there and that's why I didn't necessarily know. And my dad kept it so open and public and proud because there was glory there. And I kind of just want to talk about those two things because not, not one is better than the other, but I have the privilege of seeing both sides of that spectrum, you know? How has that shaped your work as an artist, living between those two profound experiences? I think I'm a, I'm a vessel for the truth. And the more that I can clean myself and clean myself of the trauma that's in within me and the ego and be like, Allah, please use me, please use me, please use me. It's crazy, but I'm actually like, I can literally go into my body and like, find memories of my grandma that my mum didn't even know. And I'll say, mum, did you know this about grandma? She's like, what? How do you know? I'm like, it's in my top shoulder here. Like, this is crazy. Or I'll be like... That's amazing. Yeah. And so, like my great grandfather, I'd be like, oh, like I was dreaming and you came to me. And, and I say that because I think that as we can clear ourselves of our own filters, we have this connection 
to our memories, that are also our future, that it's like, it sounds otherworldly, but I think it's just part of the truth of connection. And so me being an artist is being able to, it was on parallel with me coming closer to Allah through knowing Allah through love and not through fear. And as I started to open my heart up and release the layers of dirt and hurt, I become uh, more connected to something higher than me and more connected to people because I can hold more love and more compassion, I think. Karima refers to herself as being part of the bridge generation between the pre-internet world and the post-digital frenzy. And that tension is embedded perfectly in a recent project she's been working on. Every month, she creates a beautiful golden print of an image and poem about that moment using a woodcutting technique called linocut. She then digitizes those pieces and releases them as NFTs. The intention was, how can I understand more about the NFT world and basically start, like, let this be a project where it's about me learning about how to create, you know, codes of conduct, uh, very technical logistical things. My intention with starting this project was, hey, even if it takes me years or even if this is just, just a stepping stone, I'd rather go slow with this one than it be about like the glory of the marketing or anything like that. It was just about like, let me understand this space and let me do something where I can create something that I would create out of love anyways. And so every month when I kind of drop into meditation and think about the message of where the world is at, and I didn't realize I had that within me, like this capacity to feel so deep within myself that I can feel the world, but apparently that's happening. And so that's really cool because I can, you know, create a lino print, I print it, I create it as an NFT with a meditation behind it. But more than that, it was like, okay, this space is getting a lot of talk and hype. But actually, if you create an NFT and then it's sold on, when the artwork is sold on, I can still make royalties and I can still have a say in an understanding of where that artwork is sold. Whereas in the real world, when I sell a painting, often I don't know whose hands it will go into afterwards. So often artists are actually like undersold or when there's been a big markup on their painting, I'm not going to know. I don't know whose hands those goes into. And so I really like the kind of, the idea of this kind of like power with movement that the blockchain offers and and this kind of like really opening up of transactions like because of the blockchain you can see who buys whose work and you can see when some people's work have like they've been buying their own work and you're like hey that's kind of corrupt like okay you, you basically unravels a lot and it's a lot more transparent and so I'm really enjoying just kind of having a foot in this because I do think it's a future of the art world who knows where it's going to go, but I do like the idea that there's a lot more dem- like democracy. Karima, the individual pieces of art are absolutely stunning. Can you just describe the technique? Because you call it the lino cutting technique. And can you bring it to life for us? Because I've watched you do it, not in person, but I've watched you share videos and content on your page around how you're doing it. And I find it mesmerizing and also really complex (laughs) you know as i'm watching you do it i'm like i'm like wow 
it looks like that and then it looks like that and i'm i'm blown away sure so i thought it was really interesting to lino cutting stems from wood engraving and it's an ancient form of creating art one of the most ancient forms originated in china and it's one of the most ancient forms of artwork you can use which i find really funny that i want to do that to create an nft right like the old and the new world and what it is is you kind of you have this block i use lino and you basically you carve into it with these kind of these chiseled tools and the reverse of what you carve is what's printed almost like you're making a really beautiful stamp but on a large scale and so you have to think that the block that you carve you cut it in reverse so if you write text you have to write the text in reverse because it will be printed on the inverse so it's a whole other way of using your mind and something to like segue in is i really love how i can bridge the left and the right hemisphere so if i can do anything that helps me to shake that i do but the reason why i went into lino cutting was because so much of my painting is about being spontaneous and just going with the flow and seeing what kind of comes to me and what colors come to me to sit down and have something which is much more strategic was a really nice change of using my mind and much more slow. And then on top of that, initially I was actually going to do the prints in black and white. And then I just remember having this like small epiphany and thinking, oh my gosh, they should be in gold because this should only be one printed. Like they should be just like so limited edition. There's only one that exists in the world. And that there's something like almost Egyptian about it when it's in gold and also it symbolizes when you see them in real life and you see the ink that layers up and you have these shadows, it looks like an old banknote, like it looks super regal. I was like, ah, oh, there's just so many layers of symbolism in terms of currency and what is currency and value and gold and a gold print and it just feels so rich and luxurious that to have that as an NFT is almost like kind of funny, like to play with Egyptian symbolism is an NFT and ancient things as NFT is like kind of funny. They are truly stunning, the prints themselves. And, and there's this almost magical process that you sometimes reveal to us through the gram as you actually print the image. And as the paper comes off the lino etching and all of a sudden the words that are reversed and the image that are reversed, they all come to life. It's like watching something spiritual happen. Is that part, is that part of your intent? Oh, totally. Like even just the words that I put on the frames... I'll drop into meditation and then ask like whatever needs to come through me to be put on before the start of each month. And that's like a spiritual thing. And then in terms of like just taking the time to print it and to, I don't know, even the process of like, like rubbing my hands and like pressing with my hands and like, like using that and like really using force. And it's a much more like hands-on experience. Yeah, and that's why I knew for this next chapter, like the work that I created with the gold print, I was like, it needs to be spiritual for me to be able to sustain it. Like, if I'm going to do anything on the NFT world, it needs to be related to my spiritual practice because I won't be able to sustain it any other way. There was this poem actually I wrote that like made me think of, of, because I... I love Islam, it's so rich in beauty and love and I think sometimes, you know, well many times it's gotten a bad rap and I wrote a poem about the role of like, almost like the new creators, like the new like, so we had like, you know, like the Da Vinci's with the Italian Renaissance, like what if Islam was having a Renaissance in art? Do you want to hear it? Uh, yes, absolutely, I'd love to. <laughs> Just like reading. Okay. 
It's called the Renaissance. Habibi, do you see me? Do you see the world that we created in the gap between dreams? Thank you for the pain that comes with our beautiful history. Islam is having a renaissance. What you call creativity, I call healing. What you commodify, I rectify. We are the new generation. We bring our uniqueness, our queerness, our little bit too muchness, all of it. We heal, seven generations before this body keeps the score. And we build, seven generations from now, where sky hits the ground. We alchemize the raw into creative brilliance. Unconditional love times by eight billion. Total forgiveness, pure gold, inside and outside these bones. That's it. <laughs>Thank you, Kariva, for being with me on this Being Human. This was really wonderful. Oh my God, big smile on my face. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for listening to This Being Human. You can see images from The Stranger's Yearbook, The Gold Print, and more of Karima Hassan's work by following the links in the show notes. This Being Human is produced by Antica in partnership with TVO. Our senior producer is Kevin Sexton. Our associate producer is Zana Shami. Additional editorial support from Lisa Gabriel. Mixing and sound design by Phil Wilson. Original music by Boombox Sound. Stuart Cox is the president of Antica Productions. Sharu Yagtajvidi is TVO's senior producer of podcasts. Laurie Few is the executive for digital at TVO. This Being Human is generously supported by the Aga Khan Museum, one of the world's leading institutions that explores the artistic, intellectual, and scientific heritage of Muslim civilizations around the world. For more information about the museum, go to www.agakhanmuseum.org. The museum wishes to thank Nader and Shabin Muhammad for their philanthropic support to develop and produce This Being Human. <laughs>